0: What's going on, everyone? I'm Paul from The Little High Podcast, and in this week's episode, I interview ESPN announcer and reporter Quint Kesnick. Quint's from Long Island, New York. He was a goalie in high school, and he attended Johns Hopkins University, where he was an All-American and he won a national championship. Quint currently works for ESPN reporting a variety of different college sports, but he's most well-known for his college lacrosse announcing. Quinn and I talked about his experience at John Hopkins, why he got into reporting, and we talked about why championship weekend and college across is unlike any other sport. Be sure to go follow Quinn on Instagram, at Quint Kesnick, and look out for him on college football game days as a sideline reporter. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoy the show, and let's get right into it. With me today on the Low to High podcast, I have Mr. Quint Kesnick. Uh, Quinn, how
1: are you doing, man? doing well low to high it's uh, that's that's a scary when you're a former goaltender that's a scary term <laughs> low to high there were there were certain guys whose low to high was uh was unstoppable uh back in the day and there was others who when they took a low to high you kind of laughed at them like okay yeah, i've seen that seen this seen that movie before yeah since the uh back then the pockets were a lot a little bit shallower so it was a little bit correct home. a load
0: yeah. a low to high back then wasn't exactly what it is today a lot harder to shoot um, so Thanksgiving was last week. How was your Thanksgiving?
1: It was okay. Uh, I was home. We had a partial Thanksgiving and then I had to, to get on the road, uh, for a game on Saturday. So it was very, uh, abbreviated and much smaller than typical, but it was, uh, but it was safe and, uh, the, the cooking was outstanding. Uh, we, we, we brined a turkey, let it soak for a day. And uh, it was one of the a little smaller than usual and, uh, the combination of the marination and the, maybe maybe its size and the fact that it was fresh from a local farm here, it was uh, maybe the best turkey I've ever eaten. Are you a um, are you a turkey only, or do you like the do you like the sides more? Uh, I you know I, I respect Thanksgiving. Unlike Carcaterra, who who was you know ripping turkey on Twitter. Like I understand the significance of Thanksgiving. Okay, these were people who left their homes in Europe and came over here. Many of them were killed along the way by disease. Uh, you know, they were constantly battling the elements. They were constantly battling, uh, you know, their surroundings. And for them to sit down and have a meal, uh, I, I think we should we should be we should celebrate what what they were able to eat and not uh, take shots at turkey like yeah. Mister Carcatero did. Um,
0: are you, if you had to rank your, uh, rank your sides with, uh, between mashed potato stuffing
1: and then one of your choice, what do you, uh, one other of your choice, what do you think it would be? Uh, mashed potato stuffing, you know, I'm a big gravy, you know, you gotta hit it with the gravy. And then my sister usually brings over some sides, uh, from the vegetable department, whether it's, uh you know, Brussels sprouts, you know, with, with bacon and garlic or, um, you know, broccoli, she's, she's a, she's a chef in the highest degree, uh, in terms of, uh, making great vegetable dishes. So whether it's a cauliflower, you know, more seasonal this time of year, cauliflower, uh, you know, some, some of your, your, your gourds, so to speak, you know, the squash family. So
0: that's awesome. Um, I actually tried to make uh, mac and cheese as one of my sides for my family Thanksgiving. Turns out it's a lot harder to make from scratch. It's uh, yeah, turned out to be really dry, and the and the cheese was just curding when I put it uh, when I started making it and uh, mixing it together. So I was a little disappointed, but
1: you know you gotta you gotta live and learn. Yeah, Thanksgiving for me growing up was always uh, the last meal. As a as a former high school wrestler, it was really the last time that we could dig into a meal uh christmas was a was a miserable dinner usually we had we had a wrestling tournament when i was growing up three days after christmas and so my cousins used to look at me like what are you doing i'm like you know eating a tiny little piece of roast beef and uh you know weight was always on our mind for christmas but not thanksgiving so me and my brothers used to uh go at it pretty good
0: that's awesome that's awesome um so you've been covering college football a lot how's that been so far especially during the pandemic
1: It's been very different. It's been very interesting, very different. Every week is its own season up uh, onto itself. Uh, I think I've done 13 games. I've been to a variety of places. The protocols at each of the venues may be slightly different, but, uh, you know, safety is paramount. I get tested once or twice a week. Uh, When I travel, I've been going to games. A lot of times my announced crew is not on site that they're calling the game from home or from a studio. So I'm fortunate to be there in person. I've done games. Like LSU had about 25,000 fans and I've done some games with empty stadiums last week at Michigan State there wasn't a single fan there and so it was eerie. Uh, I've done games in that stadium that were just absolutely lit some of the best moments uh, that I've been around you know in these big stadiums in LSU or or South Carolina uh, and now they're empty and it's uh, it's very different, but uh, the fact that I'm able to go and cover games. Has really been great for my mental health. It gives me a purpose. It gives me a reason to move forward. So I'm very thankful for those uh, at our company who have enabled us to go cover games. Whether it's you know, there's a lot of protocols we go through with the testing. There's a lot of safety procedures, uh, and they valued our presence at the game. So I thank them uh, because it's really been uh, it's, it's really it's really helped me through the pandemic. Yeah, I I can I can totally understand.
0: What do you think has been your favorite game to call so far?
1: Oh, uh, this year, I've had some interesting games this year. Uh, you know, I go back to a Navy to lane game in September when Navy was down 24, nothing at halftime. This is after losing the BYU 55 to three, the prior week. So they're down like an aggregate, I don't know, 79 to three. And all of a sudden they turn that one around and, and actually win that game. So I've seen uh, Cincinnati. They're a really good team. I'm not sure they're going to make the college football playoff. I got to see uh, Missouri beat LSU at home a pretty dramatic goal line stand. Uh, it was at South Carolina, which is one of my favorite spots. When there's fans there, uh, their, their presentation of, of the football game in that stadium is cool. Had a home game at Maryland on a Friday night with the Terps beat Minnesota. That was enjoyable. I got to see uh, a They're really good, especially on offense. Uh, called a, a, a nice competitive, maybe the best overall game I've called this year, Cincinnati at Central Florida in Orlando. It was a beautiful day. And then the last two games I've seen Florida, with Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts. And then Ohio State last week looked great. Uh, they were without tons of, they were without like 20 players, their head coach, and they played uh, a great game. So, you know, every week it's enjoyable. I like the variety. Uh, I don't mind the travel. This year it's very different, though. I'm like a spy. I go in, I stay clean, talk to as few people as I can along the way. You know, the travel is like dodging COVID. I'm basically dodging COVID. Uh, no restaurants, you know, no, hotels. I'm constantly washing. My hands are so dry right now from washing them. Uh, so it's it's basically survival week to week and you hope to test negative yeah
0: yeah definitely I've uh, I've listened I've watched a bunch of those games that you call them I know Maryland I'm a big Maryland fan so watching that Maryland Minnesota game after they got killed by Northwestern the week before seeing them come up in overtime beat coming back and then that Navy I turned off that Navy game because I saw they were getting blown out I was uh, tuned in to see um, the their quarterback who was uh, top one of the top lacrosse crews uh, yeah, yeah Xavier.
1: That, I mean that was a game that was a game honestly at halftime if you told me okay what is it the chances that Navy makes a comeback? Okay having lost the prior week 55 to 3 down 24 to nothing they barely had a first down I would have given you like 1%, 2% and next thing you know they turn that game around and I walked away I'm like you know what like there's a there's a reason or a meaning that that every game you know every game can be special in its own way and that game was special for me to see Navy's resolve, to see these guys fight, to see these guys refuse to let a bad start of their season uh, have a, you know, just take over in a negative way. And I, I was so, I walked out of there like so impressed with, with the, 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 the attitude of those players and that coaching staff.
0: Yeah, true grit is really what it is. They just, they kept on fighting back and then they persevered and won the end up winning that game. So that was super. That was super cool. Super fun game to watch. That was also like week two. So just getting just as fo- yeah. uh, football was starting. Um. So have you done any games with any of your uh, what any of your lacrosse guys that you do call lacrosse games with so far this season?
1: Uh, no. Clark and I never have never called a football game together. And I've I've worked some games with Anish Shroff. Uh, he is play by play. Uh, we may get, a, I'm not sure. I, I've got some bowl games on my schedule. Maybe his name may be on one of them. I'm not sure. But the, the challenge this year is, is typically we're put with teams that we stay with over the course of the, of the season. Uh, and, and so it's easy to develop chemistry, continuity, a workflow during the week. This year, I've been with eight or nine different crews. So that's eight or nine different producers, eight or nine different booths eight or nine different ways of doing things from Monday to Friday, eight or nine different ways of doing things on game day. So it's, it's almost like me having a new coach going to play for a new team every week. That's been the biggest challenge. You learn a lot that way, but it can be, uh, it can be frustrating. It can be, you know, what are my expectations? What does this coach, what does this producer want from me? What's this booth want from me? Uh, Because obviously as a reporter, I I have a complimentary role. I'm a, I'm a second midi, you know, I come in and kind of do my job when I'm called upon. I'm not the star attackman or, or the star midi. So how do I fit into what these guys view as, as their TV product? And you walk away having played for different coaches, uh, at, you're better off for it. You know, you play for the same coach, you're not really going to grow. So this allows growth, but along the way, it puts you in, in some situations that are, uh, I don't want to say frustrating, but they're challenging. Do you think that challenge helps you adapt and become a better reporter as the season absolutely. continues? I know, absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I'm the type of guy, I over-prepare. I mean, I could show you my notes. It's Tuesday and I've already, you know, watching tape this morning on West Virginia, uh, watching their last three games and just jog, jogging down notes. I mean, I, I go into a game, you know, this is just the, the start, but I go into a game pretty much I mean, 90% or 80% of what I do will not make air. So for number one, you got, you got to understand that and don't get down by that. But when the game breaks your way and you have a good nugget on a certain player or a situation, uh, you, you feel that it was worth it. So I, I don't mind doing the work. I like the process. It's not like this time of year I have other, other duties professionally. So I dive in and, and uh, I love football. My dad was a high school football coach. And so, uh, that everything about the, the the studying for a game is uh is enjoyable to me i'm lucky That's what i wanted to do yeah that's all that's super that's a super cool
0: job i i love that especially like doing all that especially like getting to watch football i know it's t- like watching film isn't like just a fun thing it's a really it's a job to do you have to analyze all the plays and stuff but like it seems like a job like at the end of the day do you think like it's worth it definitely
1: yeah and you know the thing that's different this year is typically in the past I've watched more and more tape uh, over the last 10 years, let's say. When I first started, I would do all the paperwork first and then watch tape late in the week. Now I've reversed my pro- my uh, my uh, process entirely. I watch a ton of tape early in the week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Find out who the stars are. Find out what the situations I may need to know. Then I do the paperwork on planes and in hotels. Uh, and in the past, I've been lucky enough to watch film with the analysts. You know, two The two greatest teaching situations I had was working a year with Matt Millen, uh, the former GM of the uh, Lions, former player at Penn State, NFL, I think he's got four rings, he was a linebacker, D lineman, and then Chris Spielman, Ohio State. And, And to watch film an hour to two to more on every Friday with them was tremendously educational. And then the year I worked with Urban Meyer also, watching tape with him in those sessions was uh, just gigantic uh, in terms of uh, seeing formations, analyzing players strengths and, and weaknesses, uh, uh, secondary coverages, just just, you know, how, how to watch football like a
0: coach. Yeah,
1: just getting like a
0: firsthand view of seeing what they see almost every single day.
1: Correct. You know, as a fan at home, you're watching the ball, you're watching Lamar Jackson and the quarterback. Uh, that's the last thing that those, that's the last thing that those guys going to watch so at the snap. They're watching this, the coverage. they are seeing the safeties. Is it a one high look a two high look? Is it man? Is it zone? Uh, you know, what's going on in the front? Do they bring in four are they going to sneak a fifth then? And, and so to look at it that way and then to break it down uh, on the individual standpoint, like what, what's a player's strengths and weaknesses. Uh, it's It's fascinating. And I was, it's, I was, I've been very lucky and I've tried to carry that over to lacrosse. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that's that's really helped me in, in uh, watching lacrosse tape is, is working with those experts from football.
0: For sure, definitely. So um, let's start off with a couple of questions. So where are you, where are you originally from?
1: Uh, Lindbergh, Long Island, South Shore, of Nassau County, small little town, couple towns in from Queens. Uh, could walk to my elementary school, could walk to my middle school. I rode my bike to high school. Uh, Two older brothers, one younger sister. My mom taught in our high school. She taught math in our high school. My dad taught at Oceanside High School, which was down the road, and he coached there. So I grew up uh, on his sidelines and going to his practices. And then we had a we had a great uh, – our town was pretty sports. You know, this is 1970s, 1980s where rec, rec was the deal. So everyone played rec football. It was cheap. They gave you all the equipment. Everyone played rec lacrosse. I think it cost $20 for the whole season. They gave you a helmet and gloves. So all you had to supply was a stick. Uh, and we were off playing, playing uh, with our friends. Wow, uh, twenty bucks—it's like add another two, th- n- another three zeros, and that's what it is. Yeah, for- you no, know, twenty bucks probably covered, covered your whole season. I think that was just for insurance. Uh yeah, had another, and, and our program had the helmets, they had gloves, they had shoulder pads. So really, all you needed—I mean, guys used to show up to practice in jeans and sneakers, but if you had a stick, you could play. And and I, you know, we need to head back in that direction right now as a sport. Yeah, especially
0: since it's growing so quickly that it that has to be that has to be a top priority just to lower lower equipment prices down. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Um, so when did you first start getting into lacrosse?
1: Uh, when I was five or six, my older brothers, uh, I think I was at the back window crying and they're like, Come on out, you can play with us. I'm like, Really? I can play at getting goal. And so they they were six and eight years older than me. So when they were 12, let's say and 14, I was six when they were 15, I was nine when they were 18, I was, uh, you know, so, so I was always playing up, uh, you know, playing goalie against them and their friends in the backyard and or driveway street hockey. Uh, and so that's how I started.
0: Um, do you think, is that what contributed to you becoming the uh, lacrosse player you are today with, uh, having two older brothers kind of shape, uh, shape your playing style?
1: I think that helped. Yeah, I think that helped. I grew up in a town where lacrosse was a, was, was, uh, it was a pretty good sport. The good athletes in our town played lacrosse. They played uh, either football or soccer, a lot of basketball, or wrestling, or even we had a pretty good wrestling team. But then in the spring, it seemed like the best athletes in our town uh, played lacrosse, and, and especially back then. And, and so, you know, what started in the backyard then carried over to, to my friends in the neighborhood, and we we play in the street, we play in the tennis courts, we play against the wall. At school or at the back of my garage uh, and next thing you know we were on a team a rec team that added structure but but our, our game was based on playing pickup in the backyard and then a high school team that added more structure this is how we play defense this is how we clear this is but it's still the the, the soul of the game was uh you know our freelance games three on three on a tennis court like the sandlot
0: yeah, exactly.
1: And and you know, I, that's one thing that scares me now. When I see these pictures these guys post on Instagram of them coaching little groups of kids and doing drills. We did not have, we didn't have dr- the game never should start drills are miserable. My daughter tried to play lacrosse as as a 6-year-old here locally in Maryland and she came home the first day and was crying. She was miserable. She hated it because it wasn't lacrosse. It was just line drills. Like you think about that when we introduce the game to kids. It's got to be fun. And so start with the fun and eventually add the structure, eventually add the drills, like to get good, we've got to do this, but this is, this is, it's good. this is going to be a wild pack of kids throwing the ball around and scoring goals and hitting each other and getting mud in their face. And, you know, that's the fun of the game and let's not rob kids of the fun. So, um, was like I know I coach. Uh,
0: I coach little kids. I do private lessons with them, and then I also help out at my uh, like my youth program. I'm like the uh, I'm the head. Of, you know the Hungry Hungry Hippos game for like little lacrosse players, where like you set them up like behind cones, and you let them try and get as many balls as they can. Like that stuff. Like they love yeah. that game. And exactly. I think, yeah, I think stuff like drills like that is what makes the kid, makes the kids want to play lacrosse because that's exactly and, right. And it's like also hidden, like all the drills that you're doing, picking up ground balls, passing the ball, putting in the net. So like stuff like that is stuff that even when I started playing was what made me love lacrosse.
1: Yeah, and and make celebrations mandatory
0: uh yeah definitely definitely what I also do is that I give the uh each so I do like four teams for the kids and I I give them all different college names so I'm also helping like introduce some of the uh some of the programs helping get a little bit more familiar with the sports so I'll give like one team oh you're Johns Hopkins oh you're Maryland you're Duke you're North Carolina and then like I keep on doing that for like the coming weeks I give them new names and it's so almost like helping them introduce what like what like what sport lacrosse is now and like what like what the next level kind of looks like
1: yeah i i I love all those ideas again you're always thinking fun you're always thinking about what 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 can i do to make this kid want to come to practice and and then get them a lot of touches get them a lot of reps you know i hate to go see practices where kids are online uh you know kids are waiting their turn everyone should have a ball or a partner and a ball uh, we should be doing more small side, more four-on-four, four, more three-on-three, three, more five-on-five. Five. So you get more reps, whether that's carrying the ball or playing defense on the ball, whether that's shooting. Uh, you know, when we play 10-on-10, 10 10, there's, there's so much downtime, and I, and I don't think kids maximize their time. Definitely. Yeah, you're 100% right on
0: that. So almost going back to when you were a kid, who were some of your favorite athletes
1: growing up? Ooh, uh, well, I was a huge New York Giants fan growing up. I was a big New York Rangers fan. Uh, to this day, I, I have not been to a Rangers game. All my friends were Islanders fans back when they were owning the NHL. I've been to a couple of Islanders games. Uh, and I actually was a baseball fan growing up. I loved the Mets. So, you know, the Tom Seaver, the old Mookie Wilsons, the, the, you know, the Mets uh, World Series teams were some of my heroes. I think my bigger hero, Muhammad Ali was always a guy. I had Muhammad Ali posters up in my room. Uh, and then there were some wrestling figures, you know, Dan Gable, who, who just got the medal of freedom this week. There was a Dan Gable poster down in my weight room in my basement. Uh, now he, he was, he was an icon Olympic champion and, and the guy whose work ethic is still uh, hard to touch. Did you watch the uh, Giants game last Sunday? I left the Giants. I left when I moved to Maryland, my first year in college was my kind of my last farewell because my roommate was from Massachusetts. Uh, and so when the Mets beat the Red Sox, that was a celebration. The Giants also won the Super Bowl in that time frame. And then gradually, I I, I became a Baltimore Raven fan uh, when, when they moved the team uh, to a more moral stadium. I got tickets uh, right away in the end zone.
0: You've been going? Uh, have you like before uh, pandemic? Were you going to a lot of uh, Ravens games?
1: Uh, I don't I don't have season tickets, but I do, I'll try to go to two or three games a year depending on my schedule. If if I can get home on a Saturday night, sometimes. Lately, with covering so many games out West, I don't get home no Sunday afternoon when the games are already played. Uh, but I love the Ravens. Uh, you know, the Ravens, to me, they define it's one time where everyone in Baltimore is like rooting for the same team. It's uh, whether it's rich, poor, uh, where, w- what part of town you're from, I don't care. It's like everybody in this town is behind the Ravens. And that's a great thing because they're so we're being torn apart in so many different directions right now in this world and to, to a pro football team that everyone can get behind that everybody feels strong about. And, and we're on the same page for that one afternoon. I, I love that feeling in that stadium. I think what I know New York, like
0: New York sports are like some of the greatest sports in history, but I think New York sports, since there's so many different teams, there's not really like one big unity, like unity behind, like all the fan bases. Cause there's so many different teams and it's really like hard to get like and to all of New York to go behind like just one team, no matter who's playing. Like if the Yankees are in the World Series, a bunch of Mets fans want them to lose. If the Mets are in the World Series, a bunch of Yankees fans wants, wants them to lose. Same thing for hockey. If they don't want the other, especially because they're all playing in the same division. So, you know, it's something that would be cool in New York to have have like you have in Baltimore and places where there's only one football team. Maybe it's like Houston. I'm trying to think of another Carolina towns uh, places like that where there's only one team you can really root for. So I think that's really yeah. special.
1: No, that's a great point by you. It's usually the, the, the mid-tier to smaller market teams, the Green Bays of the world, uh, where, where those teams are uh, really, really special in their towns because yeah. there's not like LA and New York.
0: Yeah, almost like that's why Friday Night Lights was so big in high school football in Texas because there's, there's, not, a lot of, there's not a lot of professional football teams that are close to people, especially if you're in the middle of nowhere Texas. It's the only thing you can really root for. That's why I'm assuming that's probably why people got behind that so much.
1: Yeah. You know, it's a way, it's a way of life. Uh, so many of those traditions are, are just the way that people pass on how they live from generation to generation. So it's Friday night football, Saturday night, they go to the, they root for Auburn uh, Sunday. There's no pro football, there's church and there's family. So. Yeah. Yeah. You're,
0: you're right. So go moving to your high school, you playing in high school. Uh, what was your recruiting process like and why'd you, uh, why'd you end up choosing Johns Hopkins?
1: Uh, my I got, I narrowed it down to four schools, you know, as a goalie, basically you've got to say, you know what, there's a kid who's a freshman there and I'm still in high school. There's, uh, I'm either going to go in and it's not an ideal situation from a playing time standpoint. No, half the schools are probably not recruiting a goalie in that class back then they weren't. So you cut everything in half. And my last four choices came down to, uh, army, Navy, Virginia, and Johns Hopkins. I took visits to, Army Virginian and Hopkins and I committed rather early and get this it was February of my senior year and I was one of the earliest commits February of my senior year try to wrap <laughs> my head around that a little bit right yeah now. jeez wow That's yeah amazing. there guys, there were guys who were playing my senior like during our senior year into April and May who were like I just got it I'm going to Brown like, Hey, congratulations. And like, no one was stressed out about it. It was just the way it was done back then. But I mean, can you imagine hey, you're halfway through your senior season? You don't know I'm being recruited by X, Y, and Z, but I have, I'm not signed sealed or admitted yet. And like dealing with that and none of us were stressed out about it. Well, that
0: just tells you how much times have changed. but what about like signing uh, like letter of intent? When would you do that? Would you not do that back in September, November when it is now?
1: Uh, there was, I mean, you know, that didn't exist. I don't think.
0: Really? Oh wow! Yeah. So, wow. February, and that's considered. I'm still trying to. I was still, early. I was early. I'm still trying was, to comprehend uh, that of, a little bit. Yeah, that's that's wow. So, um, you arrived at Hopkins in 1986, uh, going into 87. What was it like? Like uh, during fall ball there? What was it like uh, before your season started?
1: Uh, my first memory is going into class, some kind of American history class. I was overdressed. Cause I thought it was like fall, but September in Baltimore is really hot. So I had a sweater on, I was godly sweating my face off. Class was full. This professor asked a question like three minutes in class and every hand in the room goes up and I'm sitting there like, whoa, what the heck is this? I'm like, these people have gotten the reading list. They've all done the work. They, all, I'm like, this is gonna be rough. Gosh, these people, you know? And so that was, it was, it was apparent right away that the academic environment there was far more competitive than I had ever imagined. Uh, lacrosse wise fall ball was, uh, coach Zimmerman. we, We had a really enjoyable fall. It's kind of kind of a more in the mold of what Duke does. Now there's, there was, uh, you know, an hour of individual development, installation of some team schemes. And then there was an hour of, of scrimmage. Uh, and so it was very, Three times a week, plus lifting, maybe three times a week of running, uh, but but it was low key. Uh, it was intense. It was competitive, but it was fun too because uh, you know we 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 weren't uh, there was there was, a, there was a lot of just actual playing.
0: Um, did you have any like did you meet like when you uh, first got there? Were you close with your recruiting class, the guys that were coming in with you?
1: I had a really small class. Dave Halland from uh, Avon was my my roommate. Uh, we remain really close to this day. He lives out in San Francisco. I'll text him a couple times a week. Uh, he was a really good uh, midfielder in high school that moved to the long pole position. His career was cut short by two ACLs. And back then, ACLs were like a death sentence. Uh, their surgery was. Uh, Scott Marr was a classmate of mine, the current coach at Albany. Jay Wright was an attackman. Excuse me, Jay Clark was an attackman on our team. Jay Wright was another guy on our team who's from Denver. But uh, Jay Clark, I see, he works for ESPN right now. Uh, and then Greg Kelly, a midfielder from St. Anthony's, guy who lives in Ocala, Florida now, was, was, was also a midfielder. So we had a really small class, uh, one, two, three, there was like five or six of us, that's it. So going into your season
0: uh, in the spring, did you immediately have the goalie position or was there a fight
1: to be, no. to be the start? Your... Uh, I, I didn't start until game six of uh, my freshman, freshman year. And I remember game one was up at the Carrier Dome, and I uh, had the best warm up of my life. I mean, I was flying. I mean, I, I was so excited from the, the venue and the music, and I was it was the best warm up of my life. I mean, and I remember watching that game on the bench. We lost by a goal, and you know, it took uh, it took five or six weeks. And in the long run, I think it was the the best thing that I didn't play right away because, yeah, I was I was ready to play. And start, but I don't think I was ready to deal with the success or failure uh, that would have would have come my way in March uh, and and half of April. So in the long run, I think that was a big benefit to sit there and watch to watch five weeks of what this is going to be like from a Monday to, to Saturday and Sunday and the media coverage in Baltimore and what it's like to be in the locker room, and practice following a win or a loss, and uh, just the whole scene. So I, I think that 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 was one of the reasons why the second half of the season I was able to handle what was thrown our way. Uh, so those first
0: five games, do you think they were a particularly tough part of your schedule, even though they were like out of college? Uh, we games?
1: went we went three and two. I mean, we lost to Syracuse, we lost to Virginia at home. Uh, I got to play a little against Washington College. I forget who else we played, but uh, you know, in the loss to Virginia at home, we're three and two, and you know, out of the top five, uh, and they basically told me on Monday that I was going to start the fine week at North Carolina. And, uh, it was, uh, I was excited and I thought I played well in practice and then the game and we won. Uh, there was, you know, Scott Maher made his first start that same day as the Dave Hallen. So it was a little bit of a youth movement. They, they, they turned to three freshmen for increased roles. Uh, and then, and we went on from there. So fast forward
0: to Memorial day weekend, uh, 1987 championship. You might go
1: into the, going in a little bit into that matchup. Well, the semifinals we were matched up with Maryland who, who, that was our, our, uh, that was my first loss as a college goalie it was down in college park. I think there was 17, to 19,000 fans in that place. They were undefeated. It's coming on Len bias, fatality, and this, this, uh, this lacrosse team had really captured the imagination of all my own sports fans. They were scoring goals. Go back and look at their goal differential. They're winning games by 10 goals apiece. They were just, I remember playing there and it was close game going in the fourth quarter. They beat us 11 to seven. I think they outscored us four in the fourth quarter, but just being like for the first time, just being out there on the field, like, Holy mackerel, these guys are big, fast and strong. They're good. They scored a goal. First, first of the game on this fast break, it was like boom, 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 boom. Backside goal. I'm like, wow, well that was pretty cool. And I'm like smiling, sitting there in the goal, like, and the place is going crazy. And uh, you yeah, know, we we end up losing that game. So we're playing in the playoffs. They're undefeated. They're untouchable. I mean, no one's going to beat this team. And somehow we managed to beat them. Uh, we played a great game. Brian Wood played a great game. Our coaching staff did an amazing job. We made adjustments. No one thought they could, we could beat them. And and we beat them. Uh, We beat them convincingly. And next thing you know, we're playing for a national championship. And I I remember shaking hands with Paul Schmoller on Monday and being like, Oh my God, I'm actually playing for a national championship. I've dreamed about this since I was like six years old and I'm here right now. Wow. That's crazy. I'm like, I am so happy that I worked hard that I spent the extra time because this has all happened so fast that, that it's hard to believe. Do you think it took a while to
0: sink into you like after you won the game that like you just won a national championship that you kind of just like achieved your goal that you've had since you were a little kid?
1: Uh, No, I was I was I was super happy. Uh, I thought we should have won by more than we did, quite frankly. But Cornell, I think I underestimated their tenacity. They were undefeated, too. And we took a nice little lead. And they came back uh, and uh, they had they had great players, in there, but they had more guts, man. They were just tough and they weren't going to go away and took the game down to the last second. Uh, and so that always taught me like as a broadcaster now, like a teammate, like I may not have great respect for the level of talent on a team. But when you, when you, when you're sitting there and you're nine, and know, you're 10 and 0, you're 11 and one, or you have this, this good record and you've been in close games and won them. There's something about that team you have to respect. Okay. There's something that's bigger, but then all these parts come together. You have to respect that. Again, that, that chemistry, that, that feeling that, that uh, competitive edge, that was a competitive Cornell team. I mean, man, they had, they had some dogs on that team would come after you. They were tough. And, uh, you know, when we took the lead, I thought we were going to coast to the finish line, but that, 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 that didn't happen at all. So, uh, you know, my biggest regret is that I didn't celebrate the championship as much as I should, uh, at the time in my eyes, it was one of what's going to be potentially four, and, uh, you know, I never, t- I never held the trophy. I never held the trophy, uh, because I thought there'd always be another time down the road to hold a trophy. There's no picture of me with the trophy. You'll never see that. There was no, uh, it was, it was kind of like on to the next one. And now, you realize uh, what, what a foolish decision that was not to uh, soak up and enjoy that moment more. You know, moving
0: forward, uh, 1989 championship game, Johns Hopkins against Syracuse. It was 23,000 fans at the game. It's most ever at a lacrosse game. Playing one of the most, two most historic programs in all of lacrosse. You have Mikey pa- um, uh, Gary Gate on the other side, and you're, gonna be, you're gonna be going to be mashing up
1: against him. You know, what was going through your head in that game? That was uh, the game we expected the game. We had been training for, for, you know, more than a year. Uh, we were a little shorthanded defensively. We were without two of our starters, with, you know, Dave Howland, my roommate, as I said, he tore his ACL, Greg Lilly, who was a second team all American. Uh, and ultimately I think we just ran out of guys who could cover some of their, their, uh, their great players. Uh, put a lot of pressure on, on Petro to cover Gary and, and Brian Volker and Billy Duan and everyone did the best they could. And uh, you know, Roddy Dumpson made made the game-winning shots. He's the guy we wanted to take the shot, and and he beat me. One one pinged off the post and in. And uh, you know, I, I just feel lucky to have played in that game. Quite honestly, I have uh, great friendships with some of the guys on Syracuse. You know, I have uh, so much respect for a guy like Pat McCabe and Matty Palam and the Gates I played with after college. Tommy Marachek, uh, Coach Simmons, you know, uh, Coach Desco. Uh, you know, it was just sp- I knew I knew after the game when we lost. I was I was devastated. I mean, it took me two years to get over that game quite honestly and I remember after the game going back to my apartment and I was uh so angry because I knew that what was at stake I mean I knew I just knew in the back of my head that that was an epic game that people will be talking about that that you lost you lost by a goal you didn't play good enough I mean I, I played good I didn't play good enough uh, there's two shots that I'd like back and and if I make those saves we win by a goal so that's something that, that uh, I, I don't have nightmares. I don't have, you know, my nightmares are, are limited to my wrestling career, believe it or not. I never dream of lacrosse ever. I've never dreamed of lacrosse. Really? I dream, I, dream, I dream of the state tournament as a high school senior losing. Yes. Repetitively. And I can't, you know, that drives me more than anything. I think, I think
0: probably why that is because wrestling, it's just you and you and the other guy, you don't have your teammates with you. It's just like, cause I used to wrestle and I just remember just being on the mat and I just felt like completely lowly. I didn't have any, like there was nothing going on. It was like completely sign Like you uh, drain everything out. And it's just like, it's scary being in the set, in the circle. Not, yeah. like, I, could, I could see. And it's on going. you.
1: You know, it's on you. When you, you when you lose as a lacrosse team, even if you're the goalie, you can always rationalize, well, it wasn't my fault. Well, when you lose a wrestling match, it's pretty much your fault. And when I lost in the state tournament, having a three to two lead through the entire match until like eight seconds to go uh, was, Knowing that that was the end too for lacrosse for me, even after college, there was always the next season. There was club, there was pro, so it never really ended until you wanted it to end. But wrestling for me at high school, it was over when it was over, and it had a bad ending, and uh, and that hasn't sat well.
0: Yeah, I I, I can imagine. So you graduated from Johns Hopkins in 1990. Um, you turned to uh, start getting into sports broadcasting. And I think your first thing you started doing was uh, horse races up in Saratoga, right? Am I right?
1: No, uh, I I started doing radio for Hopkins games the next year in 91. Howard Mash and Bill Tanton asked me to join them. And it was uh, so much fun. I I can't believe it. Those guys welcomed me in. We did uh, Hopkins home and away schedule, did a little traveling. Howard was a piece of work. His family owned uh, Mash's ham company in Baltimore. He's a pretty wealthy flamboyant guy who liked to go out to dinners after games. Bill Tanton was a Baltimore sports writer who had covered the Colts and, uh, you know, John Hopkins lacrosse and all sorts of Baltimore sporting events, at Preakness for years. And so our our banter, our stories, you know, I was 22, 23, and those guys are in the forties and fifties. And it was, uh, it was awesome. So we did that. And then two years later, that morphed into like a five TV game package for home team sports. Uh, All the while I was working for Citibank, in Towson, in in a credit card business that they had. I was uh, in HR uh, hiring hiring and interviewing uh, tons of employees and I was virtually uh, miserable uh, every single day and didn't like my job at all. So how did you start getting
0: into sports broadcasting? Did you do a little bit of in college or study a little bit of in college? No,
1: it was just lacrosse that led to a gig uh, into covering the indoor game the MILL back in like 94, 95, I'm five years out of college. I got that. So I worked with Leaf and Christy Lee for a year or two or three. Uh, the college games became like five to 10 games on cable. And then ESPN called me. I did my first championship in 1995, but it took me about 12 years where broadcasting was part-time after college. Okay, my friends were buying houses. My friends were having kids. My friends were getting married and I was still scrapping. Uh, but I had a dream. And so those first 10 to 12 years after college, it was pretty rough. Uh, and then I signed my first contract. And then I'm like, oh, wow, I'm doing this full time all of a sudden. Uh, and and from there, it was a matter of broadening uh, outside of lacrosse. So it was doing college football, it was doing some horse racing, it was doing college basketball, uh, it was doing hockey and the wrestling tournament uh besides lacrosse what have been or football since we
0: already spoke about football what have been some of your favorite other sport other sports that you've uh, enjoyed calling
1: well I mean go back you know to cover a uh, Kentucky Derby to cover I love the championships though at the end of the day you know to cover 16 wrestling NCAA wrestling championships uh those moments are just incredible I covered a couple soccer uh final fours and then I've covered uh maybe six to eight frozen fours ice hockey so I have so much respect for those teams, they're, the way they compete, the way they come together, the coaches, they are just uh, love their mindset. And so, I, you know, anytime individually or a team is, is going for a gold trophy late, late in the season, I, there's just such benefit to being around them. I've learned so many things about team building and excellence as, as competitors. And uh, I've just been, been really fortunate to be around those, those uh, elite events. Do you
0: see any similarities between each of the sports that you've covered, college sports that you've covered, whether it's a team sport or an individual sport that you see in all those athletes? Oh yeah.
1: I mean, you know, there, there's gotta be an investment. You know, there's got to be a level of work ethic uh, that borders on being psychotic. Okay. If you want to be successful nowadays, I see that in wrestling, clear cut. Those guys put so much time in, but their mental game, they're so strong mentally. They've refused to ever, visualize themselves losing every time they win that in their minds it's like yeah this is what was going to happen this is what I saw happen and this is what happened and it's a maniacal in a way the, the hockey the hockey guys are a little different than, than the lacrosse guys uh, that is the coaches and the mindset is like hockey teams do what they do like this is how we 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 move the puck this is how we set up our offense this is how we defend they're a little less concerned about the opponent you know, they're, they're more in the mindset of, look, if we do our things and we do them well, we're going to win this game. We, we get in the corners, we get the free pucks, we take the body. You know, lacrosse has some, – somewhere has gotten into this coaching game where they think that their strategy is going to make the ultimate difference. And it can make a, a difference, but it's a nuanced difference. And, and I still think that more lacrosse teams need to focus on themselves uh, and less about their opponents. That's, a, that's actually very interesting. Yeah. Um... So when,
0: so when was your, when did you first call your first um, NCAA national championship
1: for lacrosse? Uh, 19, 1995. Uh, the first game I called, I believe was Maryland against Johns Hopkins in the semifinal when Brian Doherty upset uh, Johns Hopkins and then Syracuse won the title on Monday. Uh, Nick a uh, complete unknown with a three goal run before halftime kind of, I think they scored three goals in 21 seconds before halftime. Uh, and they won the title in 95 it was Casey Powell's freshman year. Um,
0: so have you been called since 95, 95, have you been calling? 25. Yeah. Have you been calling
1: every single college across national championship since then? Yeah. And every semifinal, it's 25 well, minus last year's pandemic. It would have been 26. Uh, you know, one at a time, basically I, I, uh, I've been very lucky. I've worked with different producers, different talent in the booth. You know, Leif Elsmo taught me so much. He gave, opened the doors for me. Uh, I listen to his calls now. They're all over social media, which is fantastic. He was very talented. And, and we've uh, rekindled a friendship. I, I saw him this winter. Uh, Eamon McEnany, Dave Ryan, a wonderful storyteller. Eamon brought this passion and knowledge of the game. And now we've got a niche, the master poet. I mean, he's uh, smooth with the word. He's uh, he's I thought invested. you were the poet. I thought you were the poet with the, no no uh, Anish, Anish is the rapper poet. Oh. Uh, and, and, and then Kark, you know, initially when Kark, when Kark uh, showed up on the scene, it was it was uh, it was challenging for me, honestly, because it was it meant that I got to talk less. Uh, and so at first you're like, OK, well, I got to tell you, it's been the greatest thing ever because I get to think more. I can be more succinct. I can organize my thoughts. I can play stuff off of him. He can see things and play off of me. And so now the dynamic is much better. And, you know, it, this is, it's a great lesson. It's a great lesson. It's like initially we, we all we all in our lives, we have fear like, oh, it's something's gonna happen here. That's gonna make my life less what it should be. Well, you can give it a chance because in the long run, I remember my boss, John Basalo, you know and, and he was great with me. And uh, it took me about 20 minutes to realize Oh, wow. Our shows are better with Kark. I'm better with Kark. Uh This, this is, this is outstanding.
0: What do you think you've seen the biggest change over that 20, 25, 26 year history from 95 all the way to present day in college lacrosse? From well, I think you
1: seen, I think more programs have ramped it up. You know, back then it was Princeton, Virginia, Syracuse, Johns Hopkins. Okay. Now, now you, 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 every year, like Leaf and I used to joke, Hey, let's, let's, uh, while we have the cameras here, let's record next year's open. We'll just do two versions and see they're going to be Princeton, Virginia or Syracuse, Virginia or Syracuse, Virginia. like we, we knew, you know, nowadays you don't know. I mean, especially this upcoming year, I, I could give you 12 teams who could compete a championship weekend, maybe 15 uh, and, and they're all pretty darn good. So, you know, the pack, the pack is deep. That second pack, teams who can make the ncaa tournament is gargantuan you know there's 35 teams who legitimately have a chance to make the ncaa tournament that's half of the whole population uh and and that's that's wonderful and these teams are so good now uh you know again these teams from the 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 mid-majors are are outstanding so everyone's much better uh the players much better bigger faster stronger more skilled uh products good we just need people to come out and and get in the seats and watch games in person. And we need more people to watch on TV. For sure. For sure. Um, So
0: in recent history, who do you think have been your favorite players to, uh, to watch?
1: Uh, That's interesting. I, yeah, I look at it. Like I'm more of a team guy for some reason. Like I'm, I'm enamored with watching a team perform. Old dude team. How about who have been your favorite, like individual teams from each year to watch? Well I mean my favorite championship game I think is the is the Navy Syracuse game and was that 04? Yeah. Uh that was a that was an unbelievable game. Uh, that was a rainy day all up and down the east coast its the highest TV rating we ever did. And uh, you know Navy's a national name, Syracuse had star power. It was uh fast paced, you know great tempo game and uh, that, that that was one that that I put above the pack. Uh the, the Maryland Carolina championship from from a few years back was uh just an epic, epic game, just the, the pacing, you know, the shot clock has been such a, such a, a big plus, you know, we had about a decade of, of crap finals and crap semifinals with, with the slowdown game. And man, it's been the last couple of years have been outstanding, but that, that Maryland Carolina game was, it was like wow this is really happening this is crazy it's a, it was got good and better and better and it just kept getting it was just an epic game i mean if you're a young fan out there and you haven't seen that one put put see if you can pull that one up on youtube that's
0: that i went to that game cuz my cousin my cousin played on the maryland team um he that game inspired me to like love lacrosse because like watching that was that was a war that was like the coolest lacrosse game i've ever seen even though it wasn't the outcome i wanted that was that
1: was just legit. That was best lacrosse I've ever watched. That's exactly right. Like when I was a kid, I remember I I was at the 1983 national championship game rooting for Syracuse over Hopkins. And they pulled this massive comeback. And then I taped like the 84 85 when I was in high school and I'd watch them, I don't know, 15 times a day. Uh, And you know, those games became such a, such division back then lacrosse was like never on TV, but man, if, if you're a young guy, you're a young player and you want to see what it's like, what it can be, that Maryland-Carolina game in the finals was, uh, was, was unbelievable. Maryland-Brown, too, the game before the, the game. Maryland-Brown, so yeah. No, Maryland-Brown was uh, – that game could have gone either way. Brown could have easily won that game. Epic high scoring, a lot of action, a lot of, a lot of drama, a lot of storylines. Um, what about – do you think uh, the 2014
0: National Championship game was another great game to call since there was like 100 stars that played in that game?
1: with uh duke and uh duke and notre dame yeah you know the notre dame championships have generally been a little on the low scoring side the 2010 one might have been the worst championship i ever covered i mean uh the notre dame if that was in 2010 the notre dame duke i mean we went through a defensive period there where where you know i give loyola all the credit in the world they had an outstanding defense and uh a defense that'll stand up their numbers will stand up but uh the game was not, the game had had a lot of slowdown dead periods. And now with the shot clock, we don't really have any dead periods, which I love. That all the games go together. I'd have to like look at a list and, t- and tell you like things that stand out to me. Uh the Hopkins semifinal in what was it, 05 against Virginia when the storm came in? That was a great game. That was that was an epic game. Uh, when Benson Irwin scored the game winner. I think it was all five. Oh, I I seen this on YouTube. That was that was an awesome. It was it was downpour. It was was it the game that was that was like downpool? a movie. That, that, yeah, yeah, that game's like a movie. I mean, that game's like you know Kyle Harrison's got this back injury. Can he can, can he perform? The drama Hopkins builds a lead. Here comes the storm. Here comes Paske and Starsia and, and and Ward and and uh, here comes Virginia. They got the momentum, but now the storm blows everybody off the field there's a reset and we come back and uh, Harrison scores the first goal. That was like, you, you want a movie script. That's where you're that. going. Up. Yeah. Go that was go after that. Plus game. they were, plus they were outstanding teams. I mean, Virginia the next year wouldn't lose a game and they crushed everybody in 06. That was a really good Virginia team in 05, the lost in that semifinal.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, we could go on, we could go on another whole half hour ramble about this, but
1: I know. Yeah, yeah, the funny thing is, is, like, if you just ask me, what do you remember? I'm like, I don't really remember anything. But if you show me a box score or you point or say a player's name, like I have all these stories, but they're, they're kind of, I don't know, it's not necessarily age because I've always been this way. They just got to be dug up because there's, there's, there's a lot up there. It's
0: I'll like give a, you it's like I'll a giant you.
1: filing cabinet, I guess.
0: I'll give you one for an example. It was 2017 national championship game. John Garino, they were Maryland was up. John Garino takes a sh- he wins the face-off and it's like almost when like you see Maryland's turn the tide, he takes a shot, he misses the shot, but then you see like the whole momentum switch into Maryland's favor.
1: Garino was a difference maker in that game. Yeah. He was yeah. what was the third, their third string face-off guy that they, they they called up? Yeah, yeah, he was third. It was
0: uh Austin Hennison, then Will Bonaparte, and then John Garino. He went Four for seven against Baptiste. He went. He also went like eighty percent against T.D. Earl in the quarterfinals, and then he went. Yeah, uh, twelve for seventeen. I'm pretty sure against Withers, and all. I think all all the guys he went against were first, second, third team All Americans.
1: You know, it's interesting because Maryland was hanging around the championship for so many years and finally got one, and you could argue that. The one, the team that won might not have been their best team of of that of the what five or six that played played in in, in the semis or the finals in that time period, but they were the toughest. They they they, you know, they, they had a certain swagger about them with Rambo and Heacock and and some veterans, and, and they they refused. Yeah, they refused to lose. So I, 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 you know, I you probably could make an argument that prior some of the prior Maryland teams were more talented, but mm-hmm. the most talented team doesn't always win, obviously.
0: I mean, I, th- I think the 2016 team was so much better because they had they had they had Pat Young also they had Pat Young on their midfield line they had James Bull they had the entire defense who was Kyle burnlore Matt Dunn it was like what the Whipstakes defense is right yeah. now it was they yeah. were all there they were all in their prime they were juniors and seniors they were they were the most talented team but you know Virginia yes. just went on a How'd crazy how they lose run. they lost they lost on defense they lost from you know. Chris Cloutier just getting shots on the inside. They
1: lost on defense. Something happened towards the end of the year. You look at their goals against, and something happened in the last three, four, or five weeks of the season where their defense just wasn't the same. And Burnlaw had to stand on his head, but they're still giving up, what, almost in the teens towards the end of the year. And and it just doesn't make sense given the talent that was on that group.
0: I mean – national championship game i forget who got the penalty but it was that stupid check in the back that killed. Yeah. got that they had the game they essentially had the game they just had to bring it downfield and get the goal but then they allowed virginia to get. Uh, they allowed uh, north carolina to get the man up and let Clutie just take an easy step down shot so it's just it's just like those stupid like it's not i'm not going to say stupid but just those super small plays that like could just
1: completely change the entire no, outcome yeah of that. I, I completely agree with you you know Having experienced those uh, myself, I know that when you have two really good teams evenly matched, you know a play here and a play there is going to decide the game. You don't never know where that play is going to be. For for yeah. me, it was giving up a bad, a soft first goal in a national title game. Like, okay, so what? Well, at the end of the day, when it's a one-goal game, you go back, and that first goal probably shouldn't be on the board. A different scenario, but it's it's you know those deep. That's why coaches go crazy because it, the little things along the way uh what i always felt in in the tournament later in the tournament you have two really good teams the the top eight to ten to twelve guys are going to kind of neutralize each other you know like casey powell is going to going to play great uh you know td erling you know is going to play great uh they're they're, they're, they're kind of giving like you know th- these guys are outstanding at what they do it's guys 13 through 20 it's guys 15 through 22 on the roster the second midfield your second pole the sub attackman the backup faceoff guy John Garino for example like what can you get out of those guys and I thought when Virginia won the national title a couple years ago they got wonderful production from some guys on their roster 15 through 22 who came on they played a little zone defense like those guys can win you a national championship game I felt sometimes in games that 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 I played in kind of under everyone points to the stars, but it was those guys who really set the table, the second midfield. What kind of production did you get out of them? Subs off the bench. Did did guys come come off the bench and 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 shit themselves and play horrible or or did they contribute?
0: Yeah, it's because also you have a whole season, it's may you've been playing since february your your first team's so your first line attacking so exhausted you know whoever's whoever's like ben let's ben reeves has been going against the best defender all year he's probably worn out and then you have your first midfield line has been running up the field for running up and up and down the fields and you guys the like hopefully the uh, second midfield lines are have fresh legs and are feeling good and so maybe that's why they're that's why they're making the that's why they're making the difference in those
1: games Uh And and a lot of times it's positive coaching because the two types of players you see who contribute in those scenarios are the grizzled senior, maybe the guy who lost his starting role somewhere along the line was bypassed by a superstar, but, but he hung in there and his experience comes, comes to the surface. I think about Syracuse and their teams, they always had some no name senior produce in May. Uh, The other would be your youngsters, your freshmen, your, your highly recruited guys who have now had a full season, they burst through that freshman wall late in the year, and all of a sudden, they become contributors uh, in in, in May. May. You know, they're so used to that that level of success that followed them throughout their careers, they wouldn't be playing at these schools. But then they kind of dig in. They find a second, they find a, 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 a you know a, a, a second reserve of air, and and they finish off the season as being a difference maker in a tournament game, which sets up a great career as a sophomore, junior, and beyond. So, the, but that usually comes down to coaching because because those roles, their story I think tends to have some frustration along the line prior to prior to championship weekend. Yeah, I'm trying to think. It's Sergio,
0: even though he didn't play in a national championship. Sergio Salsido was a walk on at Syracuse. Like, didn't didn't really have any recognition. He was fighting. He was only only time playing time he got was his freshman and sophomore year was getting like uh, spots on the wing during the face-off. So. That's the kind of guy who just dug, like, kept on fighting, kept on fighting until he was getting, like, then he got to the second midfield line. Then he started getting the first midfield line. Then he was the best player on the team. So guys like that are almost what shape, if they go to Championship Weekend,
1: what Championship Weekend's kind of all about. Yeah, yeah, they can be difference makers, believe it or not. And everyone points to the stars. But if the stars are all good, they kind of neutralize each other. And then what's next in Tier 2? What what are your Tier 2 guys like?
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Mr. Kessnick, for coming on the of High podcast. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your day to come talk with me and talk about this really good uh, discussion about college lacrosse. Uh, wish you the best of luck with this upcoming, uh, with you finishing up your uh, college football season, and I hope to see you in the booth uh, this uh, 2021.
1: Yeah, thank you. You know, I got a handful of football games left, and then uh, we'll find out about the 2021 season. Uh, trying, Trying to stay positive with the vaccine news. You know, hopefully we'll have a a season. It, hopefully, it'll be more than a partial season. Uh, I hope everyone's able to get back to school in the spring, uh, in person, and and play some lacrosse. Whether you're a college player, a high school, or or rec league player, kids need to play, and uh, hopefully, we're we're heading in that direction. For sure, hundred percent. Thank you so much. Thank you.